I want to start by reading you these verses from, from Romans 1. It says this, The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. And I want to know how you're feeling as I read that. Whether whether you read that and you sit there and you think like, yeah, that's me. Or whether you sit there and you squirm inside and you feel uncomfortable because the Bible uses words that are, are tough and cutting and, you know, maybe not the words we'd choose. How do you feel as I read that? How the wrath of God is being revealed against humanity for its godlessness, for its wickedness. We feel it on the inside, don't we? It jars against us. Why do we feel that? Why do we feel that sense of, oh, as we read and hear about God's wrath and his judgment and what we deserve for our sins and rebellion? Why do we feel that? There's probably a whole bunch of reasons. Because as Anya read through Revelation 15 and 16, I'm sure you will have seen that it is bloody and it is gruesome. It's not the kind of thing that you're going to read out at a children's tea party. It's horrific, isn't it? Blood is spilt in these verses. God's wrath is poured out in these verses. And the easiest thing is is to say, you know, let's just ignore that. Let's just do Mark. Let's ignore Revelation. Or or let's do the nice bits of Revelation. (laughs) And we'll get to the end with the new creation and fantastic God with his people, but let's miss out the hard bits. We're not going to do that at St. James. And if you want a church that's just going to take the nice bits of the Bible, there's plenty that will just teach culture to you or just preach nice things to you. But here we take the scriptures seriously. And so we're going to delve into this. We're going to delve into God's wrath. We're going to think about his judgment. We're going to think about the penalties that we deserve. And at the end, we're going to get to Jesus. Now, if you've been here for for this series as we've been going through, you'll you'll remember that Revelation is three things. I'd like to test you. Who can remember what number number one is? Revelation is a, come on, a letter. That is, it's written to specific people in a specific time. So as as we read these words, we must remember that. Revelation is a letter. Number two, Revelation is a prophecy. That is, it's God's word to God's people through the prophet John. And remember, Revelation isn't linear, so it doesn't go through like this happens, then this, then this, but it's lots of different perspectives on on similar things. Revelation is a letter, it's a prophecy, and number three, Revelation is an apocalypse. That means something that's invisible being revealed, something that's hidden being shown. And so we've thought about going behind the scenes, God inviting us back and showing us how the world works, what his plans are for salvation and for judgment. And we finished part one, we saw the throne room of the Lamb, we saw the letters to the seven churches. We're in part two, and this is the last one in part two. Remember those sevens? We've seen seven seals, seven trumpets, we had a little interlude for a few different things. And now, today, we're in these seven bowls, the bowls of wrath. This is the end of part two, and then next week onwards, we're going to think about the final part, part three. 
And we've had these three lots of sevens, haven't we? We had the, the seals, we had the trumpets, and now we've got the bowls. And, and, and in each time as we go through those sets of sevens, as we see God's judgment and his salvation being brought about, you get the end of the world at each of the end of those sevens. So you get to the end of the seals, and it's like the world ends. You get to the end of the trumpets, it's like the world ends. And we get a similar thing here. It's like the world ends at the end of the bowls. And so we know as we go through that these, these are not linear events, but they're different perspectives on the same thing. God is bringing about his salvation and his judgment. And here we get different perspectives. So perhaps the seals, you could say, is from the perspective of the suffering church, the martyrs, those who have been killed for their faith. The trumpets, perhaps from the perspective of of those people who have rebelled and won't repent and turn back to God. And here we get this different perspective, which is from God himself. You see that in verse 5 and 6 and 7. These bowls are coming from the temple where God is. This is God's perspective on his salvation and judgment, so we need to listen up. Now, as we go through these bowls, you'll you'll see that they're very similar to the trumpets. In fact, they're pretty much like for like. Let's really quickly whiz through them. So trumpet number one, you get this judgment on the earth. You get hail and fire. Bowl number one here is judgment on the land, the earth, and, and these sores that that come out on, God's, on, on people. Number two, trumpet, you get judgment on the sea, blood and death. Here, in the seven bowls, you get judgment on the sea, blood and death, the same. Trumpet number three, judgment on rivers. They're made bitter. There's, there's death for fish and living things. Here, you've got judgment on the rivers, death and blood again. Number four, the trumpets, you've got judgment on the sky. Sun, moon, and stars go dark. Here, you've got judgment on the sky. The sun scorches people. Trumpet number five, you've got like the pit of evil and everything that's evil coming up out of it. Bowl number five, you've got this throne of evil, the beast, the dragon that we looked at a couple of weeks ago. And trumpet number six is an attack on the river Euphrates, which you get the same here in bowl number six, to allow the kings to forge their armies ready for the final battle, which is in part three. Do you see, this is different perspectives on the same thing. And here, it's from God's perspective. And so if we're going to listen up to any of these sevens, the seals, the trumpets, the the bowls, then maybe we should listen to this one. And perhaps this is the hardest, actually, to hear. Now, we're talking about wrath, right? Perhaps another word for wrath is anger. And probably our experience of anger, human anger is very different to what is described here. When we think about human anger, we think sometimes it's right and good. So you look around and you see people enraged by wars or famines or evil in the world, and and you see people getting angry, and you're like, yeah, that's right, that's good, that's fair, because they're getting angry at wrong things in the world. Some human anger is brilliant and good and not sinful, But a lot of human anger isn't, right? And and I'm sure we know this inside of ourselves. A lot of our anger is sometimes petty, perhaps disproportionate, 
Maybe you think of certain people in your life who have been angry at you and you've thought about how that made you feel and what that made you think. Human anger is often unpredictable. You fly off the handle in an instant. Or perhaps human anger is invisible just on the inside. That's my anger. Screaming a pillow kind of anger. And so as we go through this tonight, I want to say two things. There's two big things that I think this passage throws up at us. And so here's the first. Let's dive right in, shall we? Here's the first. This is in chapter 16, verses 5 to 7. Let's read that again. Then I heard the angel in charge of the waters say, talking of God, you are just in these judgments, O holy one. You who are and who were, for they have shed the blood of your holy people and your prophets, and you have given them blood to drink as they deserve. And I heard the altar respond, yes, Lord God Almighty, true and just are your judgments. And look back to chapter 15, verse 3. Great and marvelous are your deeds, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways. Do you see? Here's the first thing I want us to see. God's wrath, as these bowls are poured out, God's wrath is true and just. God's wrath is true and just. Someone you know might say, feels a bit harsh, doesn't it? Of God to be this angry. For him to be pouring out his bowls of wrath and there's, there's death here, there's blood shed. What is this? It feels harsh to me. Well, what is God's wrath? What, what is his wrath? Is it different to our human anger? And I want us to look at these verses. Have a look at verse, uh, chapter 15, verse 5. It says, After this I looked, and I saw in heaven the temple, that is the tabernacle of the covenant law, and it was opened. Out of the temple came the seven angels with the seven plagues. They were dressed in clean, shining linen and wore golden sashes around their chests. Then one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls filled with the wrath of God who lives forever and ever. And the temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power, and no one could enter the temple until the seven plagues of the seven angels were completed. See, this wrath is coming out of the temple. Remember, it's God's perspective. This is God's wrath. And here it describes the temple in a really interesting way that's only, only found elsewhere in Numbers chapter 1. It describes it as the tabernacle of the covenant law. This is the place where God dwelt with his people. It was a beautiful place where, where forgiveness of sins could be offered as sacrifice was made. Blood was shed. The lambs were slain. And here it's described as the tabernacle of the covenant law. This place, this temple, was not just God's presence, where he was, and not just where sins were atoned for in sacrifices, but was a place of absolute purity. The Ark of the Covenant was there, if you know your Old Testament. God's rules, God's laws, his, his moral perfection is kept in the temple to show that God is holy, he is special, he is set apart. And so when we think about God's wrath and 
his judgment, we must think about it in these terms because we're not comparing ourselves to our neighbor or our friend. No, we're comparing ourselves and our failings and our flaws to God's utter moral perfection. And you see that in Jesus, don't you? As he comes to earth, he lives in a way that is different from the rest of humanity. People look at him and and are intrigued by what he does and what he says and how he acts and how he responds. God's absolute moral perfection. And in that temple, no one could enter the Holy of Holies where God dwelt with his people. No one could go in. Apart from once a year, the high priest could go in after many, many sacrifices, complicated rituals and things had been done. He could go in once a year to the Holy of Holies. And they tied a rope around their legs in case he died in there because no one could go in to get him so they could pull him out. And all through the scriptures you see God's people's encounters with God and and they're terrified. God says, you cannot see me for if you see me because I'm so holy, you'll be burned up, you'll die in an instant. God is so holy. And so nothing bad or evil or less than perfect can exist in his presence. We're not comparing ourselves to our neighbors when we think about whether we deserve wrath or not. We're comparing ourselves to God's utter, perfect holiness that annihilates anything evil in his path because he has perfection. Well, maybe you think about the phrase, I hear this phrase a lot, I don't know if you do, It goes something like this. There's lots of variants, but here's the one I hear the most. God hates the sin, but loves the sinner. Have you heard that? God hates the sin, but loves the sinner. And I kind of get the sentiment behind it. To say that sin is bad and like God can do away with your sin and he loves you and he wants you to be in relationship with him. And that's true. God loves you so much. He sent his son for you to do away with your sin. But all through the scriptures, it's clear that God hates the sin and he hates the person who has done the sin. The person is under God's wrath, ultimately. And that's clear as we go through Revelation. Sometimes we think like, you know, God, I'm innately perfect or innately I'm good. You just got to look at Isaiah that says, well, all our works are like filthy rags before God. Like even, our, even our best things happen with mixed motives, right? Even now I'm standing here and I'm, I'm like, you know, is, is this a good message? Is it going to land with you? You're going to think I'm great because I'm preaching well? And this is preaching. Like, do, you, do you know what I mean? How does this play out? How, how does... How does this play out in our lives? I want us to go back to this, these verses in Romans. I want to read a little bit more. You can turn there if you want. It's Romans 1.18. It says this, The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness, since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. Do you see what it says there? God has made himself known. In creation, yeah, and in his son, the Lord Jesus. And people respond by saying, no thank you. 
I'm all right, thanks. And, and it uses the language here of suppressing the truth, doesn't it? God has made it plain. It says, the wrath of God is now being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. That is squashing down the truth. Yes, Romans chapter 1, verse 18. Yeah. So humanity squashes down the truth. That is, God has made it plain, but we choose to squash it down and move it away and say, no, thank you. And so... Often in life we feel guilt and shame and failure, etc. But instead of taking it to God, we, we try and find other ways of like pushing it down, don't we? So, so here's three ways I think we try and suppress the truth in the ways that we live. Number one, we ignore that sense inside of us that there's something more going on. Innately inside of us, God has made it plain that there is something more going on in our world. We look at creation, we look at the scriptures, we hear people's stories of coming to faith. And even if we don't have all of that, we've got inside of us our consciences that knows deep down that there's something more out there. And yet so many of us just squash it down, don't we? We put it to one side, we put it in our little chest, lock the key, and just put it away with all the other junk in our lives. Number two, perhaps we find alternative ways to relieve our guilt and shame that we have. That is, we go elsewhere, other than to God who stood there with welcome arms, by the way. We go elsewhere to find ways to soothe ourselves from our guilt and our shame that we feel because we, we know deep down that we've, that we've messed things up. And so that could be a whole number of things. Toxic relationships, porn. Drugs, alcohol, overeating, like it, it could be a whole bunch of things for, for us. But we go elsewhere to find life instead of running back to the arms of God because we feel guilt and we feel shame. Number three, we settle for hopelessness and so we live a second best life. So many people, so many people struggle with this sense of I don't know who I am, I don't know what I'm about. And we're really great at kidding, on, kidding, it, kidding people on the outside, aren't we? But deep down, we're like, I, and so we settle for, for a second best, mediocre life, just going through the motions, doing what people expect of us or what feels good or whatever. When God's like, I've got so much more for you. And whatever way it is for you or for, for the people that you love and care for, we suppress the truth. And that is why the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven. Perhaps the objection is a loving God can't show wrath. A good God wouldn't judge. We've talked about this before. I'm not going to go massively into it. But, but you can have love and wrath together. In fact, you need the two together for it to work. Like, I love my wife, Kat. I love her. And so if you're going to come and try and hurt her, I am going to come for you with my gangly limbs and my thin, weak muscles. I've never punched a person in my life. I'm going to come after you, and I'm going to seek your blood, and I'll spend the rest of my life in prison. So if you come and hurt my wife, I'm coming for you. Now, is that because I am full of rage and I want to murder? No, it's because... 
I want to protect my wife because I love her. Do you see that? Love and wrath can come together and in fact is necessary. And so think about God in, in this, love and wrath. If God has love without wrath, it's cheap and meaningless because he doesn't care. If God never gets upset by sin, he doesn't truly love you. No, God cares what's best. And so he has the ultimate level. And you're like, he cares. God is love. Yes, he is deep, pure love. And he is full of wrath because he cares about how we live. And this is hard. You might be sitting there thinking, oh, I just want to belt for those doors, but everyone's going to see me do it. I'm not going to apologize. It's here. Take it up with God. God's wrath is true and just. His judgments are true and just. Let's move on to the second thing. God's wrath has an end point. Let me read you chapter 15, verse 1. I saw in heaven another great and marvelous sign, seven angels with the seven last plagues, last because with them God's wrath is completed. And again in chapter 16, verse 17, the seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air and out of the temple came a loud voice from the throne saying, it is is done. These verses here speak of completion, don't they? Finality, an end point. It's finished. Does that sound familiar? It is finished. Let me read you these scriptures from John. This is John chapter 19. And verses 28 to 30, talking of Jesus. Later, knowing that everything had now been finished, and so that scriptures would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I'm thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of a hyssop plant, and lifted it to Jesus' lips. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. You see, here, this end point as God's wrath is poured out, you get the end of the world. You get this final day when God's wrath will be finished and completed. And there's echoes here of Jesus' death as he's pinned to the cross facing the full weight of our sins. And he says, as darkness covers the land, it is finished. God's wrath has an expiry date. It will have an end. And for you, that could be today. Because as Jesus is pinned to that cross. All of your wickedness and godlessness, all of your suppressing the truth, all of your 
turning elsewhere to soothe yourself in a whole bunch of other things that promise life but deliver nothing. All of your hopelessness, all of your shame, all of your guilt, Jesus says, I will take in your place. And not only does Jesus take all your sins, he takes the punishment that you deserve for them. He takes on himself the very wrath described here, poured out on Jesus, full. God's anger, hot and fiery, just and true, poured out on Jesus. And as he hangs there, darkness covers the land and the earth shakes as God the Father turns his back on God the Son. Because God the Son would take the wrath in your place. All of your sin, all of your shame, all of your guilt, all on Jesus. And all that's left for you is mercy. Mercy. Full and free. And here's a truth I want you to hear. Either God's wrath ends with Jesus or it one day ends with you. The scriptures are clear that those who don't repent, that is coming back to the loving arms of the Father, those who don't turn away from suppressing the truth and say, God, I've failed and I want Jesus to pay the price for me. One day we'll face his wrath. And so if you're here tonight and you're a Christian, that is, you've said yes to Jesus, doing that in your place, I want to say some things to you, and I want you to hear this, and I want you to feel it. So, eyes up, listen to this. If you're a Christian, you don't face God's wrath anymore. No guilt, no shame, because Jesus has paid for it. That's true today when you're having a great day. That's true tomorrow when you're off soothing yourself with all those other ways that you try and suppress the truth. Jesus has done it all. The wrath has been fulfilled. And so when you wake up tomorrow, all that God has for you is mercy and embrace and love. God is pleased with you because when he looks down, he sees his perfected son who could walk into the holy of holies in the temple because he never stepped a foot wrong. That is you. And so you have hope for the future, not wrath to come, but hope. No hopeless living now. You can live your best life God's way because he's taken all the gump away and given you everything you need. And you don't have to be worried about being found out as a fraud. You know when on the outside you come across as this great guy or girl, and on the inside you're like, boy, if people really saw that, you don't have to worry about being outed anymore because you've already been outed. God knows your heart. He's forgiven the deepest, darkest thing in the corner recess of your heart that only you know about. God has wiped clean. There's no more wrath for you. And so remember this serious thing that Jesus has done for you and live in obedience 
in gratitude because of mercy. Maybe you're here tonight and you're, you're someone who's been wandering away. You're someone who's, you wouldn't call yourself Christian. And I want to say this to you. Maybe deep down you know there's more going on in this world. Maybe you feel that on the inside and you sit up at night and you're like, there's got to be more. And maybe for you, you feel that shame and that guilt, but you just don't know what to do with it. And it paralyzes you. And you end up going to a whole bunch of things to try and fix the problem, but it doesn't. It might temporarily, but not long term. Maybe for you, you you couldn't imagine that you'd be welcomed into the presence of a holy God until you clean yourself up. But here's the thing. You you can say today, I'm not not living like that anymore. I'm not going to squash this down anymore. I'm not going to run to these other things anymore. I'm going to finally let go I've suppressed the truth. I've run away. I've refused. And today I'm saying yes. And you say to God, I'm sorry. And you say, I want what Jesus did for me. That's all it takes. God's wrath will be no more. And here in these verses that Anya read, the people there don't repent. Don't be like them. Don't think I'll get to this when I'm older. Don't put it off. Because one day God will return. And whether you're ready or not, he will bring about his judgment. Let me finish with that truth. Either God's wrath ends with Jesus, or it one day ends with you. Let's close our eyes and I'm going to lead us in a prayer in a moment. Our Father, these truths are, are hard and I don't know, they don't feel nice. Thank you for your word. Thank you that it's full and true and Father, we're sorry for making you out to be a God that you're not. And Father, we don't fully understand how you work and why things are like this, but we know that we deserve your wrath and we really do know that. But we also know how loving you are. And so we want to say thank you sorry for all the stuff we've done wrong but we thank you for Jesus thank you that he faced the full weight of your wrath in our place God we're so grateful and I pray now Father for all of us here that you would be working in us that you would be revealing yourself to us and that we would be running from wrath and to your embrace tonight Praise in the name of Jesus.